This is our 28th lesson on the subject of America's culture war. At some point we'll get to a number that we can no longer count anymore. This is our 20th lesson on the sub-series of Satan's attack on the home as God set it up. And we looked at the idea of dating, so how we set up our marriages and then marriage itself. That is how we behave in our marriages. And in particular, we looked at the roles that God has laid out for us in the home. And then um, <clears throat> now this is our 12th lesson specifically on what the Bible has to say about this idea of rearing children. So let's start out with a review as we uh, close out this first section of our study on child rearing. So as we've reasoned many times before, the goal of child rearing is simply to prepare our child for God. So for life, a life in service to God, which will lead him to heaven. We have to mold them while they're young before it's too late. Recall we looked at Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So Solomon warning us as we get older, we're going to tend to get ingrained in our ways. We're going to develop habits, which is a key word that we'll come back to a lot in the next session, uh, the next section of our series. So habits that are going to be hard to break. And if our habits are such that we've eliminated God and religion and spiritual things, uh, spiritual virtues and morality, then we're not going to be interested in pursuing those things as we get older. Uh, they'd make us too miserable to consider. In other words, we won't be able to take pleasure in, in those kinds of things because maybe the change that we would have to, have to go through in order to please God is really too drastic. And so we tell ourselves it's too late. And so you hear people say that as they get, get older, it's too late for me. Now, uh, of course, that's just what happens. And so we as parents have to anticipate that and make sure that our kids remember their creator, uh, that they're already ingrained in the right practices while they're still young. Uh, notice what Psalm 78 says, which again we've looked at. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So recall that I've emphasized that we're molding our children, uh, talking, of course, about the idea of shaping clay. A child is like a lump of clay that becomes whatever he is molded to be. Uh, generally speaking, he is going to be a reflection of his parents' values, his parents' strengths, their weaknesses, a parent's childhood beliefs and tactics. Proverbs uh, 29, 15 highlights that an undisciplined child brings shame to his mother. Uh, not himself. It's not his fault. It's not the clay's fault when the potter messes up. And so recall that one of the qualifications of being an elder in 1 Timothy 3 is that his children are in submission with all reverence. Verse 5 says, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, then how is he going to take care of the church of God? 
reflection of his parents. Uh, he doesn't, if he, uh, if he hasn't been molded, uh, he's not going to mold himself as a child. He's going to be a reflection on his parents. And again, if you want to be, be able to become an elder, then that is going to be important in your, uh, in your molding capabilities there. So the goal of child-bearing is to prepare our children for God, for serving Him in life and the afterlife. Uh, but how do we implement that principle of the practical way? Uh, does the Bible have more to say about this? Yes, it does. Uh, we looked at the summary passage on biblical child-bearing, Ephesians 6.4 here, which instructs parents to bring up their children in the training or discipline and admonition or instruction of the Lord variations and wording depending upon your translation. And so Paul highlights the two fundamental practical responsibilities of a parent, and that is to teach or instruct children what they need to know about living a life for God, and then training or disciplining them to do that. And recall that Hebrews 12 highlights that including the training is the idea of correcting or chastening a child when they don't meet the standard that you set for them. So correcting through that trains the child, and so we have our third step in child bearing, and that is to correct, which is a, a subcategory of training. Uh, but the Bible has, has so much to say about this idea of correcting that it uh, separated that into kind of its own uh, steps. So teach, train, correct. If we were to break down parenting into three words, and that's what we're talking about, everything else fits in one of those three categories. So we teach them what they need to know about living a life for God. We train them to do that and then correct them whenever they fail to do so. And so we've been studying step number one for several months now. We teach our children. And with regard to teaching, we considered Proverbs 22.6 several times. Train up the child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. We look at our child's behavior and fast forward to what that same behavior would look like in its adult version down the line if it were left unchecked. And we determine if that behavior would be unwise or sinful in some way. And if so, then we address the elementary version of that now while they're young. So remember that we considered that it, you know, it, it should be obvious that a parent can't fairly discipline and train a child to be a certain way or correct and rebuke a child for not doing so if the child doesn't even know what he's supposed to do. Uh, if he doesn't know what's expected of him, he can't very well do it. And so we looked at Romans 5.13 for uh, thinking through that concept. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so we as parents have to keep that in mind as well to make sure that we have, we've instructed our kids in what's expected of them before we uh, jump on them for not doing something that we want them to do. And so we teach those virtues that the Bible emphasizes that God's disciples are expected to have. Characteristics that we want to be part of our child's character when he grows up. Things that he will need to please God. Uh, Deuteronomy 12:28. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 4 and verse 9, we'll look at that in a moment. But notice, we, we have to teach virtues, the things that are good and right in the sight of the Lord, Moses highlights here. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 4.9, Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Teach them to your children and, notice, even your grandkids. So grandparents have a responsibility to be involved in this process as well. And notice we are to be diligent about that. Teach them diligently to your children. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Uh, all day, every day, everywhere, every how. Uh, so this isn't the fact of the uninvolved, the lazy, the distracted, the uncommitted parent. If that would characterize a person, then they shouldn't have kids or shouldn't have more kids. Deuteronomy 4.40 also highlights the idea that, that teaching these things will make it where things will go well for our kids. Do we, do we want it to go well with our children? Do we want their lives, their days, to be prolonged, as this passage says? Well, God tells us how to make that happen. And by implication, he tells us how to make it where it won't go well with our children. And that is by not teaching the virtues that comprise his commandments. Notice this passage. Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. So notice we don't just suggest virtues or talk about them. We are to command our children to observe these. The NIV actually says, command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. These aren't just suggestions or mere options in your home where you just give your elementary age kids the independence to decide whether or not they're going to exhibit these virtues? No. These are commands, expectations. So the Bible is explicit and repetitious about the importance of taking time to do this. Who's to be doing it? Parents and grandparents. What are they doing? Teaching virtues, God's words, His expectations for them as they get older. When? Well, when you lie down, rise up, sit down, and walk around. So all the time. Where? Everywhere. Why? That it may go well for them and give them long life. How do you do it? Diligently. And so we teach them self-control. We looked at this idea. Not taking or touching things they, that, uh, that they want, that aren't theirs, without restraint. Not having a fit when they don't get their way or don't get something they want. Not doing or saying whatever comes to their mind not striking others, having self-restraint, controlling themselves, having honesty, telling the truth even when it'll mean that they're going to get in trouble for whatever they did, uh, not telling white lies to get out of trouble, not playing, playing up a boo-boo just to get more attention, not cheating, which remember is a form of dishonesty, responsibility we looked at, owning up to your mistakes instead of passing the buck, making excuses, and then also making right any mistake that they've made, whether it be paying for something they broke, cleaning up a mess, should always be apologizing whenever they do things wrong. God expects us to do that to him. He expects us to do it to each other. Contentment, learning to be happy with what they have instead of craving, coveting, right? Something that they don't have and even having tantrums when they don't get it. They need to be content. They need to be even grateful. So not only being content with what they have, but being grateful for it. Knowing that they don't deserve what they have, that it is a blessing and things could always be worse. Uh, obedience. So outward compliance with whatever their authority figure has commanded, be it a parent or teacher. Uh, so submission, which would be more 
inward compliance, not just outward. So remember making sure that we are, are looking for the heart and the attitude, not just action. We'll talk about that a lot more later. That is essential here. Not just correcting an action, but watching for the attitude, making sure they have a submissive attitude. So obedience with a good attitude about it, not pouting or being resentful while they're obeying, but actually being submissive. Respect, reverence, fear. So recognizing the authorities in their life and being respectful of those, uh, even having appropriate amount of fear in many cases, to, if that authority especially has ability to punish, uh, not talking back, not correcting adults, being respectful and reverent in worship, uh, humility, so realizing that they aren't a gift to humanity with abilities that exceed all others, but realizing they are, that they are merely a product of a loving God who blesses everyone with different strengths and weaknesses. The strengths need to be honed and used for God's service, and the weaknesses need to be strengthened. So bragging, being a know-it-all, bossing others around, looking down on others, criticizing adults, strutting around, all signs of pride that must be addressed quickly being unselfish and considerate of others. This, of course, is what Christianity is all about, agape love. And so we must ingrain in our children that toys don't matter. People matter. And be, be readily willing to share and even give away what they have at a moment's notice. Being considerate of others, making sure that their behavior doesn't offend or, or unduly upset others around them wherever possible. For example, by being rude. Patience, so not demanding what they want now, but being willing to wait, whether it be uh, having a toy, getting a drink and, or food or snack, whether it be their parents' attention, that's a big one. Not interrupting and demanding that the world stop revolving until they get their way. Uh, industriousness and diligence, so learning to work hard, work effectively, not sloppily and actually enjoying it, not being lazy about it. Piety, so remember this is being religious. Remember an atheist could have most of these virtues, but if we want our children to be Christians when they grow up, then they need to be taught how to be pious. They need to be about their father's business, going to church regularly, participating in worship as they are able, giving money each week as they prosper, doing their Bible reading every day, praying regularly, putting the church first in their life, Holiness, so helping them to come to terms with the fact that the Christian life, many times, let's face it, it's pretty lonely. Uh, they have to be comfortable with being on the outside many times since the Christian is set apart from the world. And so by ingraining that concept into our kids, and they'll be much less likely to be influenced by the world, to be like the world. They'll instead view themselves as separate uh, an influence on the world rather than vice versa. They'll immediately have fences up around them that'll help protect them from bad influences. Gaining knowledge, a concept emphasized in the wisdom literature often. So this is education here, so learning about the things that they need to know in order to live a long life in service to God on this planet that he created. Understanding, while knowledge would answer questions like what is it, Understanding would answer questions like, why is it? Uh, by learning cause and effect, they'll have the tools they need to apply their knowledge in real life situations, thereby making wise, prudent decisions. Decisions that will not lead to their physical or spiritual harm or that of others. 
kindness and goodness, of course, are emphasized in the Bible often and are, remember, proactive ideas. So a person could be perfect and not committing direct sin and still not, not be kind and good to others because kindness and, good and goodness require positive action towards others, not just not doing something to others. Uh, mercy and compassion, God expects us to love mercy, Micah 6.8, and so we must teach our children that concept as well, helping them to not be too quick to condemn others, but, but trying to understand where they're coming from, giving them the benefit of the doubt, not judging according to appearance. They have to learn that many times uh, judgment and punishment, these are necessary, uh, but to not be too quick to assume that that's what's called for in every case. Modesty, so not dressing in a way that either draws sexual attention or is prideful, showing off, for example. And so we looked at each one of these, of course, over the last several sessions much more in depth. And there's, there's other crucial virtues that, that we could look at. Most of them would probably be covered if each of these were ingrained. Uh, so, for example, a parent being consistently uh, counted on to enforce these virtues and being counted on to take, to take care uh, for his child, that coupled with the parent teaching piety is going to lead a child to gain faith, becoming faithful. As they grow in faith, they'll grow in peace, another good virtue, Matthew 6. So they'll realize they don't have to worry about life. They can have peace in their hearts even when chaos and stressful situations and turmoil are all around them, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Um, because they have peace and faith then and have learned what it means to be holy, then they won't have fear, which will lead to their being bold and courageous and standing for what's right, standing for the truth. So being bold and having courage are other good virtues. But at the same time, because they've learned self-control and peace and faith, their emotions are going to be contained, allowing them to be gentle and meek, other good virtues, being righteous, godly, and pure. And so uh, faith, peace, godliness, purity, righteousness, boldness, and other virtues will be developed naturally by making sure we have these in order. So when we extrapolate from what our kids are doing now <clears throat> that shows a lack of these virtues and project those behaviors to what these things will look like when they're adults, what will they look like? Will they displease God at that point? If so, then we have to help them develop these virtues when they're young, even when it's inconvenient to us to do that. A child isn't born with these virtues already intact. They have to be taught, and then the child has to be trained and corrected. So in order for our kids to go in the way they should go, we have to teach them that way. And so we teach them these godly virtues. So how, how might we go about uh, doing that? Uh, perhaps we, we make up hypothetical scenarios in our minds and discuss them with our kids. We ask them, you know, what should you do in this situation and why? You know, sit down and reason with them. Think through various kind of situations that are real life situations, but hypothetical maybe. Maybe you even make up fictional stories where you've got characters who either exhibit certain virtues or fail to exhibit them. Kids love to hear stories, so make up stories and let them see what happens to this character and discuss it with the kids. Maybe you read books or even watch certain shows or movies that provide opportunities to, to pause and stop and discuss how these virtues are playing out. So we pause these shows or these movies and discuss those when it's relevant. 
Uh, when you're reading the Bible or telling Bible stories, you don't just read, but you stop and highlight the virtue or the lack of virtue in the individuals that are, that are in the stories. Maybe you uh, tell real life stories from your own past or the past of others you know and what we or they should have done or not done with regard to those virtues. So those are all preemptive teaching. After a mistake has already been made by a child, of course, it's essential that that situation be discussed as well. That's a great opportunity to teach virtues is after a mistake has been made. But ideally, you're preemptive as much as possible. And while we're doing these things, we ask lots of questions. I mean, that builds understanding. And it also makes it where their mind is forced to engage and think through what to do. They're not just hearing words come at them. You ask them questions, they're forced to actually think through it and understand, give you an understanding type answer. So it's harder for your instruction to go in one ear and out the other when you ask lots of questions. Now, there's no doubt this takes a lot of time. It is extremely time-consuming to teach godly virtues. And yet that's what the Bible says to do in Deuteronomy 11 and elsewhere. Biblical parenting is time-consuming, but that's the job. It would be very difficult to do this on a day-to-day -day basis if we don't actually arrange our schedules in such a way where we can actually be with our kids as much as possible and actually give them our attention. I mean, we can't fill our schedule so full that we fail to do what's needed for our children. Their futures, the futures of our descendants, the future of the church itself is going to be affected by this. It was our choice to engage in the activities that led to the birth. It wasn't their choice. And so we have a responsibility to do what needs to be done for them and make whatever sacrifices are necessary. I mean, let's face it. In America, we fill our lives with all kinds of stuff that aren't, that aren't necessary. You know, we, we have that luxury in America to do that. And a lot of these things can be fine and even important in some cases within reason. But, you know, come on, they're, they're not necessary. Or in many cases, at least they don't, they don't need to be a high priority, especially in comparison to our children. We have to keep our perspective right on our responsibilities in God's sight. Our children must take precedence while they are young. I mean, that's just it. That's just, we can't excuse ourselves on this, parents. We've got to make sure that we are putting in adequate time. You know, what about, what about our evangelism and our perspective on that? I mean, how should, how should personal evangelism fit in with our priorities here? And when we think about evangelism and mission work, we often, I think, get a picture in our minds of door knocking, uh, maybe setting up Bible studies with people that we don't know, uh, doing mission work in foreign fields, uh, mission work in our communities, maybe in our neighborhood, devoting time and energy to evangelizing those areas. And we feel like, you know, hey, I've got to go set up a Bible study out there, so my kids are just going to have to wait. And so we prioritize mission work and evangelism of such individuals, a lot of times, I think, in our mind, knowing in the back of our minds that we're not giving enough attention to teaching our kids, if we start to think about it, we know that they have deficiencies. Okay, now wait a minute. Our children are a mission field. In fact, as parents, they are our primary mission field that God has assigned us with working on. I mean, isn't the nurturing, training, and ultimate conversion of our own children just as important as bringing the word outside of our home? 
So while our children are young, that has got to be our priority. You know, moms, you should not be feeling guilty about not having time to set up Bible studies with people. You have Bible studies set up already if you're doing this right, and lots of them. I mean, if you understand your role in the home, and the same goes for dads, then you've got a lot of work to do in the home. Our younger children must take precedence. They're, they're going to grow up one day, and then our evangelistic efforts can shift after that. But we have to keep our priorities. We are given specific examples of parents in the Bible who failed to have clarity on this. So look at Eli, who was apparently so focused on his priestly duties that he failed to properly see to his sons. 1 Samuel 3 verse 13. Samuel was so busy traveling around judging Israel. 1 Samuel 7, 16 and 17, that he apparently neglected his boys. 1 Samuel 8, 3, which led to Israel demanding a king. Uh, David's demands as king apparently kept him from adequately parenting Adonijah. 1 Kings 1, 6, leading to his attempt to usurp the throne. So when we choose to be parents, that responsibility becomes a high priority over most other responsibilities save our marriage. It is a priority even over outside evangelism while our kids are younger. Now let's imagine for a moment that we don't teach these virtues. I mean, it's not necessarily the case that our children won't grow up and get baptized just because you don't teach these virtues. Although it is no doubt true that we've made it much more likely that they won't obey the gospel by not teaching these virtues. But notice, even if they are baptized, number one, we've made it harder for them to serve God because of the extra struggles that they're going to have to deal with over these basic virtues that they need to have in order to be pleasing to God. It will be much more difficult for them to be focused on helping others if they're having to be focused on their own inadequacies spiritually. If they know that their spirit lacks the virtues that God expects, then they're naturally going to tend to focus on that rather than evangelism and being a salt for the world. But number two, getting baptized doesn't necessarily mean a person is saved, does it? I mean, is it not true that even within the church, most people are not going to be saved? The church today is not unlike the church of Moses in the wilderness, is it? And we know that hardly any of them made it into the promised land. Why didn't they? Well, when we boil it down, it's because the Israelites as individuals had severe, severe deficiencies in these virtues. They had a lack of contentment and a lack of gratitude. They had a lack of self-control. They had a lack of humility and holiness and so forth. So things that, had they been taught these virtues better from a young age, would have helped them to do what's right when the going got tough. Now on the other hand, imagine for a moment a child who's been trained to have each of these virtues. You know, what kind of person is he going to be? You know, what kind of leavening influence is he going to be on the world? And what kind of Christian would he be? I mean, a completely honest man. He is in control of his impulses and his emotions. He takes responsibility for his mistakes. He never complains. He's positive. He is content and even grateful for his lot in life, even when terrible things happen. He submits to the authority in his life. He's obedient. He never has a rebellious spirit about him, or he's never the cause of others being rebellious. He has his pride in check. He recognizes his, his inadequacies as a human and is able to look at the, the good in others and build them up. 
He's consistently thoughtful of others. He's considerate of others. He is quick to give of his time and his money to help others. He's patient. He doesn't fly off the handle. He works hard. He isn't lazy. He is pious. He's, he's deeply involved in his religion. Worship matters in the church and so forth. He's holy. I mean, he is set apart from the world. He, he's, just, he's different, but he's comfortable with that. He has devoted himself to growth in knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that he makes good decisions. And he can be counted on for good advice. I mean, you can go to this person. He's kind and good to others, as well as merciful and compassionate. He's not quick to condemn others. He's very serious about modesty. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But instead, he, but drawing attention to others is of interest to him, and especially to Christ. So imagine training a child to be that man or woman. No wonder Satan is busily involved in distracting parents from taking the time to do this. Because that is what a Christian is. So if we let behaviors go that fall under these categories, then our children will not be developing these virtues. They'll be developing habits that will lead to spiritual death when they're accountable. And the hard thing, of course, is the application of these virtues. You know, it's easy to tell a kid, hey, you need to be respectful. And it's easy to pull out a dictionary and read the definition of respect to them. But most of that's going to go over their heads, right? I mean, the hard thing is to, is to have the wisdom to know what disrespect or pride or a lack of self-control looks like when it plays out in real-world scenarios with our kids, right? That's the hard thing. You shall know them by their fruits, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16. You know, there are, there are fruits that will result if a person lacks a certain virtue. You know, being a fruit picker as a parent is essential to making sure we're addressing the heart of our kids and not just addressing specific actions. So we should be constantly, as parents, praying for wisdom, for discernment, for understanding as parents, uh, and, and even think about Solomon's humble prayer to God that he, that he gave and when he asked for wisdom and discernment to lead the Israelites. He, he thought of himself as a child and his lack of wisdom concerning such an important task as leading the people of Israel. And parents have just as much an ominous task as did Solomon. So we should pray like him. I am like a child in knowledge about this crucial job of parenting. And yet I'm in the midst of these little children that you have blessed me with. Please, God, give me an understanding heart to judge these children that I, that I may discern between good and evil. And, and as I've said before in this series, we shouldn't be surprised when we see our children or others' children lacking in these virtues at times. I mean, that, that's normal. That's expected. If they didn't lack these virtues, there would be no point in, in even having parents. So no, we shouldn't be surprised at a lack of a virtue. That doesn't bother me whenever I see a lack of a virtue. What concerns me and should concern all of us is when we see a child's lack of a virtue and it's not being addressed by a parent or it isn't being addressed adequately when we see a clear example of a deficiency in a particular virtue. So it's not as much a concern to me when I see a child throw a tantrum or whine and lose control and complain. That's going to happen before a child is, is adequately trained in a virtue. But it is a concern when we don't see parents putting a stop to that. It doesn't bother me as much when I see a child being selfish. That's natural. It bothers me and should bother all of us if we don't see 
parents effectively addressing that problem because we should all be able to see the ultimate outcome in that child's life if that issue is not being handled. And that should alarm all of us. We should have the wisdom to think through what's gonna happen if these things are not being addressed and should be alarmed about it, especially in our own kids. I, you know, I pray that we'll all be humble enough to, to look at ourselves, look at our, the things that we're teaching and, and make whatever changes we need to make in order to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as parents before it is too late. In our next session, we're going to plan to move on to step number two of biblical child rearing, and that is this idea of training. And this is a step that is very often, I think, neglected in parenting, but which is essential if we wish our children to develop and maintain the virtues that we have been looking at in these previous sessions. So that'll be session number 13 on this child rearing stuff, if the Lord allows us time to be able to come back. And, and look at that probably in September. Again, if, um, if you are uh, willing, I, I ask that you pray for all of us that are going to be traveling to Polishing the Pulpit this week. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know how many of us are, but there's, I think, a high, high percentage of our own congregation, actually a percentage of the whole brotherhood that is traveling to do this. I mean, there's going to be over 5,000 Christians that way. So pray that that'll uh, that everybody will be safe on their trip and pray that the lessons that are taught there will be effective and this will be a renewing, refreshing experience to people as they, as they try to serve God more effectively this, this upcoming year. If you're not a member of the Lord's Church, we as always want to give you an opportunity to become one. Uh, we, we are very interested in your soul or concerned about you if you're not a Christian. And God doesn't make it difficult on you to become a Christian. His commands are not burdensome. He expects you to look at the evidence, come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, repent, repent of your sins, so stop doing the things that aren't going to make you happy anyway, confess Christ with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, and 10, then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, being added to the one church of the Bible where you must remain faithful to the end if you wish to receive a crown of life. If you need to do that, or if you need to confess some kind of public sin in your life this evening, we encourage you to do that now. Come forward while we stand and sing. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. 
Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Please be seated. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared as we sing this next song. If you'll make your way to the front, you'll be served. Turn with me to 702, 702. 